Section four of Roxana by Daniel Defoe. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Amy, a resolute girl, knocked at the door with the children all with her, and bade the eldest, as soon as the door was open, run in, and the rest after her. She set them all down at the door before she knocked, and when she knocked she stayed till a maid-servant came to the door. Sweetheart, said she, pray go in, and tell your mistress, here are her little cousins, come to see her, naming the town where we lived, at which the maid offered to go back. Here, child, says Amy, take one of them in your hand, and I'll bring the rest, so she gives her the least, and the wench goes in mighty innocently with little one in her hand, upon which Amy turns the rest in after her, shuts the door softly, and marches off as fast as she could. Just in the interval of this, and even while the maid and her mistress were quarrelling, the mistress raved and scolded at her like a mad woman, and had ordered her to go and stop the maid Amy, and turn all the children out of the doors again, but she had been at the door, and Amy was gone, and the wench was out of her wits, and the mistress too. I say, just at this juncture came the poor old woman, not the aunt, but the other of the two that had been with me, knocks at the door. The aunt did not go, because she had pretended to advocate for me, and they would have suspected her of some contrivance, but as for the other woman, they did not so much as know what she had kept up any correspondence with me. Amy and she had concerted this between them, and it was well enough contrived that they did so. When she came into the house, the mistress was fuming and raging like one distracted, and calling the maid all the foolish jades and sluts that she could think of, and that she would take the children and turn them all out into the streets. The good poor woman, seeing her in such a passion, turned about as if she would be gone again, and said, Madam, I'll come again another time. I see you are engaged. No, no, says the mistress, I am not much engaged. Sit down. This senseless creature here has brought in my fool of a brother's whole house of children upon me, and tells me that a wench brought them to the door, and thrust them in, and bade her carry them to me, but it shall be no disturbance to me, for I have ordered them to be set in the street without the door, and so let the church-wardens take care of them, or else make this dull jade carry them back again, and let her that brought them into the world, look after them, if she will. What does she send her brats to me for? The last, indeed, had been the best of the two, says the poor woman, if it had been to be done. And that brings me to tell you my errand and the occasion of my coming, for I came on purpose about this very business. And to have prevented this being put upon you, if I could, but I see I am come too late. How do you mean too late, says the mistress? What have you been concerned in this affair, then? What have you helped bring this family slur upon us? 
I hope you do not think such a thing of me, madam, says the poor woman, but I went this morning to see my old mistress and benefactor, for she had been very kind to me, and when I came to the door I found all fast locked and bolted in the house, looking as if nobody was at home. I knocked at the door, but nobody came, till at last some of the neighbour's servants called to me and said, There's nobody lives there, mistress, what do you knock for? I seemed surprised at that. What, nobody live there? said I. What do you mean? Does not my mistress live there? The answer was no, she is gone, at which I parleyed with one of them and asked her what was the matter. Matter, says she, why it is matter enough. The poor gentlewoman has lived there all alone, and without anything to subsist her a long time, and this morning the landlord turned her out of doors. Out of doors, says I, what with all her children, poor lambs, what has become of them? Why, truly, nothing worse, said they, can come to them than staying here, for they were almost starved with hunger, so the neighbours, seeing the poor lady in such distress, for she stood crying and wringing her hands over her children like one distracted, sent for the church wardens to take care of the children, and they were when they came took the youngest which was born in this parish and have got it a very good nurse and taken care of it but as for the other four he had sent them away to some of their father's relations and who are very substantial people and who besides that lived in the parish where they were born and i was not so surprised at this as not presently to foresee that this trouble would be brought upon you or upon mister so i came immediately to bring you word of it that you might be prepared for it, and might not be surprised, but I see they have been too nimble for me, so that I know not what to advise. The poor woman, it seems, is turned out of doors into the street, and another of the neighbours there told me that when they took her children from her she swooned away, and when they recovered her out of that she ran distracted, and is put into a madhouse by the parish, for there is nobody else to take care of. This was all acted to the life by this good, kind, poor creature, for though her design was perfectly good and charitable, yet there was not one word of it true in fact, for I was not turned outdoors by the landlord, nor gone distracted. It was true indeed that at parting with my poor children I fainted, and was like one mad when I came to myself and found they were gone, but I remained in the house a good while after that, as you shall hear. While the poor woman was telling this dismal story, in came the gentlewoman's husband, and though her heart was hardened against all pity, she was really and nearly related to the children. They were the children of her own brother. But the good man was quite softened with the dismal relation of the circumstances of the family, and when the poor woman had done, he said to his wife, This is a dismal case, my dear, indeed and something must be done. His wife fell a-raving at him. What, says she, do you want to have four children to keep? Have we not children of our own? Would you have these brats come and eat up my children's bread? No, no, let them go to the parish, and let them take care of them. I'll take care of my own. Come, come, my dear, says the husband, charity is a duty to the poor. And he that gives to the poor lends to the Lord. 
let us lend our heavenly father a little of our children's bread as you call it it will be a store well laid up for them and will be the best security that our children shall never come to want charity or to be turned out of doors as these poor innocent creatures are don't tell me of security says the wife tis a good security for our children to keep what we have together and provide for them and then tis time enough to help keep other folks children charity begins at home well my dear says he again i only talk of putting out a little money to interest our maker is a good borrower never fear making a bad debt there child i'll be bound for it don't banter me with your charity and your allegories says the wife angrily i tell you they are my relations not yours and they shall not roost here they shall go to the parish all your relations are my relations now says the good gentleman very calmly and i won't see your relations in distress and not pity them any more than i would my own indeed my dear they shan't go to the parish i assure you none of my wife's relations shall come to the parish if i can help it what will you take four children to keep says the wife no no my dear says he there's your sister i'll go and talk with her and your uncle i'll send for him and the rest i'll warrant you when we are all together we will find ways and means to keep four poor little creatures from beggary and starving or else it will be very hard we are none of us in so bad circumstances but we are able to spare a mite for the fatherless don't shut up your bowels of compassion against your own flesh and blood could you hear these poor innocent children cry at your door for hunger and give them no bread prithee what need they cry at our door says she tis the business of the parish to provide for them they shan't cry at our door if they do i'll give them nothing won't you says he but i will remember that dreadful scripture is directly against us proverbs twenty one thirteen whoso stoppeth his ears the cry of the poor he also shall cry himself but shall not be heard well well says she you must do what you will because you pretend to be master but if i had my will i would send them where they ought to be sent i would send them from whence they came and the poor woman put in and said but madam that is sending them to starve indeed for the parish has no obligation to take care of them and so they would lie and perish in the street or be sent back again says the husband to our parish in a cripple cart by the justice's warrant and so expose us and all of the relations to the last degree among our neighbours and among those who knew the good old gentleman their grandfather who lived and flourished in this parish so many years and was so well beloved among all people and deserved it so well i don't value that one farthing not i says the wife i'll keep none of them well my dear says her husband 
but I value it, for I won't have such a blot lie upon the family and upon your children. He was a worthy, ancient, and good man, and his name is respected among all his neighbours. It will be a reproach to you that are his daughter and to our children that are his grandchildren that we should let your brother's children perish or come to be a charge to the public in the very place where your family once flourished come say no more i'll see what can be done upon this he sends and gathers all the relations together at a tavern hard by and sent for the four little children that they might see them and they all at first word agreed to have them taken care of and because his wife was so furious that she would not suffer one of them to be kept at home they agreed to keep them all together for a while so they committed them to the poor woman that had managed the affair for them and it entered into obligations to one another to supply the needful sums of their maintenance not to have one separated from the rest they sent for the youngest from the parish where it was taken in and had them all brought up together it would take up too long a part of this story to give a particular account with what a charitable tenderness this good person who was but uncle-in-law to them managed that affair how careful he was of them went constantly to see them and to see that they were well provided for clothed put to school and at last put out in the world for their advantage but it is enough to say he acted more like a father to them than an uncle-in-law though all along much against his wife's consent he was of a disposition not so tender and compassionate as her husband you may believe i heard this with the same pleasure which i now feel at the relating it again for i was terribly frightened at the apprehensions of my children being brought to misery and distress as those must be who have no friends but are left to perish benevolence i was now however entering on a new scene of life I had a great house upon my hands, and some furniture left in it, but I was no more able to maintain myself and my maid Amy in it than I was my five children, nor had I anything to subsist with but what I might get by working, and that was not a town where much work was to be had. My landlord had been very kind indeed after he came to know my circumstances, though before I was acquainted with that part he had gone so far as to seize my goods that he carries some of them off too. But I had lived three quarters of a year in his house after that, and had paid him no rent, and which was worse I was in no condition to pay him any. However, I observed he came often to see me looked kinder upon me and spoke more friendly to me than he'd us used to do particularly the last two or three times but he had been there he observed he said how poorly i lived how low i was reduced and the like told me it grieved him for my sake and the last time of all he was kinder still told me he came to dine with me and that i should give him leave to treat so he called my maid amy and sent her out to buy a joint of meat he told her what she should buy but naming two or three things either of which she might take the maid a cunning wench and faithful to me as the skin to my back did not buy anything outright but 
brought the butcher along with her, with both the things that she had chosen for him to please himself. The one was a very large good leg of veal, the other a piece of the four ribs of roasting beef. He looked at them, but bade me chaffer with the butcher for him, and I did so, and came back to him, and told him what the butcher demanded for either of them, and what each of them came to. So he pulls out eleven shillings and three pence, which they came to together, and bade me take them both. The rest, he said, would serve another time. I was surprised, you may be sure, at the bounty of a man that had but a little while ago been my terror, and had torn the goods out of my house like a fury, but I considered that my distresses had mollified his temper, and that he had afterwards been so compassionate as to give me leave to live rent-free in the house a whole year. But now he put on the face, not of a man of compassion only, but a man of friendship and kindness, and this was so unexpected that it was surprising. We chatted together, and were, as I may call it, cheerful, which was more than I could say I had been for three years before. He sent for wine and beer, too, for I had none. Poor Amy and I had drank nothing but water for many weeks, and indeed I have often wondered at the faithful temper of the pure girl, for which I but ill requited her at last. When Amy was come with the wine, he made her fill a glass to him, and with the glass in his hand. He came to me, and kissed me, which I was, I confess, a little surprised at, but more at what followed, for he told me that as the sad condition which I was reduced to had made him pity me. So my conduct in it, and the courage I bore it with, had given him a more than ordinary respect for me, and made him very thoughtful for my good, that he was resolved for the present to do something to relieve me, and to employ his thoughts in the meantime to see if he could for the future put me into a way to support myself. While well, he found me change colour, and look surprised at his discourse, for so I did, to be sure, he turns to my maid, Amy, and looking at her, he says to me, I say all this, madam, before your maid, because both she and you shall know that I have no ill design, and that I have in mere kindness resolved to do something for you, if I can. And as I have been a witness of the uncommon honesty and fidelity of Miss Amy here to you in all your distresses, I know she may be trusted with so honest a design as mine is. I assure you I bear a proportioned regard to your maid, too, for her affection to you. Amy made him a curtsy, and the poor girl looked so confounded with joy that she could not speak, but her colour came and went, and every now and then she blushed as red as scarlet, and the next minute looked as pale as death. Well, having said this, he sat down, made me sit down, and then drank to me, and made me drink two glasses of wine together, for, says he, you have need of it. And so indeed I had when he had done so. Come, Amy, says he, with your mistress's leave, you shall have a glass too. So he made her drink two glasses also, and then rising up, and now, Amy, says he, go and get dinner, and your madam, says he, to me, go up and dress you. 
come down and smile and be merry, adding, I'll make you easy if I can, and in the meantime, he said, he would walk in the garden. When he was gone, Amy changed her countenance indeed, and looked as merry as ever she did in her life. Dear madam, says she, what does this gentleman mean? Nay, Amy, said I, he means to do us good, you see, don't he? I know no other meaning he can have, for he can get nothing by me. I warrant you, madam, says she, he'll ask you a favour by and by. No, no, you are mistaken, Amy, I dare say, said I. You heard what he said, didn't you? Ay, says Amy, it's no matter for that. You shall see what he will do after dinner. Well, well, Amy, says I, you have hard thoughts of him. I cannot be of your opinion. I don't see anything in him, yet that looks like it. As to that, madame, says Amy, I don't see anything of it yet neither, but what should move to a gentleman to take pity of us, as he does? Nay, says I, that's a hard thing to do, that he should, we should judge a man to be wicked, because he is charitable, and vicious, because he is kind. Oh, madam, says Amy, there's abundance of charity begins in that vice and he is not so unacquainted with things as not to know that poverty is the strongest incentive, a temptation against which no virtue is powerful enough to stand out. He knows your condition as well as you do. Well, and what then? Why, then, he knows, too, that you are young and handsome, and that he has the surest bait in the world to take you with. Well, Amy, said I, but he may find himself mistaken, too, in such a thing as that, why, madame, says Adam, I hope you won't deny him, if should, he should offer it. What do you mean by that, hussy, said I? No, I'd starve first. I hope not, madam, I hope you would be wiser. I'm sure if he will set you up as he talks of, you ought to deny him nothing, and you will starve if you do not consent, that's certain. What consent to lie with him for bread, Amy, said I, how can you talk so? Nay, madame, says Amy, I don't think you would for anything else. It would not be lawful for anything else but for bread, madame. Why, nobody can starve. There's no bearing that, I'm sure. Ay, says I. But if you would give me an estate to live on, he should not lie with me, I assure you. Why, look you, madame, if he would but give you enough to live easy upon, he should lie with me for it with all my heart. That's a token, Amy, of inimitable kindness to me, said I, and I know how to value it, but there's more friendship than honesty in it, Amy. Oh, madame, says Amy, I'd do anything to get you out of this sad condition. As to honesty, I think honesty is out of the question when starving is the case. Are not we almost starved to death? I am indeed, said I, and thou art for my sake but to be a whore, Amy, and there I stopped. Dear madame, says Amy, if I will starve for your sake, I will be a whore for anything for your sake. Why, I would die for you if I were put to it. Why, that's an excess of affection, Amy, said I, I never met with before. I wish I may be ever in condition to make you some returns suitable. However, Amy, you shall not be a whore to him, to oblige him to be kind to me. No, Amy, nor I won't be a whore to him, 
if he would give me much more than he is able to give me or do for me why madam says amy i don't say i will go and ask him but i say if he should promise to do so and so for you and the condition was such that he would not serve you unless i would let him lie with me he should lie with me as often as he would rather than you should not have his assistance but this is but talk madam i don't see any need of such discourse and you are of opinion that there will be no need of it indeed so i am amy but said i if there was I tell you again, I'll die before I would consent, or before you should consent for my sake. Hitherto I had not only preserved the virtue itself, but the virtuous inclination and resolution, and had I kept myself there I had been happy, though I had perished of mere hunger, for without question a woman ought rather to die than to prostitute her virtue and honour, but the temptation be what it will. End of section four.